Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pop Culture Theologians. You've made it to episode three, The Urge to Purge. The urge to Purge. It sounds like an MC Hammer song. I'm, I'm here for it. I feel like I can get down with this. <laughs> I think this could be his moment. He could come back with this. Like, it's like the original song he'll write for the TV show. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm here for that. I'm totally here for that. Well, I'm John. I'm Marcy. And if you couldn't tell us apart by our um, very stark difference in vo vocal tone, then, well, welcome. <laughs> welcome to the Pop Culture Theologians. So Marcy and I are two academics finishing our PhDs when we get the chance to write, but we do have time to worship at the altar of pop culture. So we started this podcast to go through a television series or show that we really rip apart academically, but of course with the witty sass and banter that only her and I can do. <laughs> I love your belief in us, John. I love it. <laughs> I have no problem with self-confidence. Ask anyone I know. Really? I had no idea. <laughs> Hashtag shocked. Well, we just want to give a shout out to the Engaged Gaze, G-A-Z-E, um, for hosting us. Um, definitely go check out um, the website that we, that is um, where you will find us. There's a lot of great content on there. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram, both um, at Pop Theologians, where we actively live tweet the show on Tuesday nights. And then... Um, frequently have been interacting with a lot of the actors. Shout out to um, Jessica, who will be coming on the show next week, um, who plays our favorite character, Allison. And Marcy, while watching this week, I finally discovered a new verb. Guess what it is? What is it? I Allisoned someone. Oh my God, yes. Like, I can totally see myself, like, going up to someone today and being like, you know what? I'm going to Allison the shit out of you. And they're going to look at you like, this girl is crazy. She She's going to what? And I'm going to be like, I'm going to Allison the shit out of you. I love Come it. down to the 33rd floor with me. <laughs> <laughs> so Marcy, what's happening this week? A lot's happening this week. Um, I'm going to have to like hold my gag reflex for this first one. But um, hashtag toadstool, uh, mushroom head. Um, so Stormy Daniels, uh, an excerpt from her book came out that gave us the most graphic description of a dick I've ever heard <laughs> that has collectively traumatized the entire United States. Um, she used like some Mario Kart allegory. And now my favorite game is ruined. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Rainbow Road is no longer oh. Rainbow Road. <laughs> oh, God. It's so awful. Like, it's so awful. And yet, I was I was talking to a boss of my own because um, we both do social media comms at my job. And so we're on Twitter all the time, right? And um, I was like, dude, have you seen what's trending on Twitter? And she was like, no. And I was like, yeah, I don't really want to tell you. I'm going to let you go on there and figure it out. Um, but it was just weird to see, um, Mario Kart, Toad, like trending and being like, yay. Here like I am. So John, do you know this? Like I am the best Mario Kart player I'm the best. from 64, 
from Super Nintendo. Like I actually have all of those at my house. I, in my office, my Brett and I have different offices. My office is full of Nintendo. Like I have my 64, I have the switch. Like I love Mario Kart. So I got super excited. And now I just, I, yeah, I have PTSD from this. Ah! I totally, because you're three hours ahead of me, I woke up that morning in a usual exhausted fog, and I saw on Twitter, like I normally do every morning, um, to just relive the trauma, because apparently I'm an addict, and I was like, what is going on? I had one of those moments of like, do I or don't I? I obviously did, and I now regret it, and I'm actually starting therapy next week. Yeah, no, it was a lot. Um, switching from like weird shaped dicks. Um, well, they all look like weird shaped dicks up there. It's just a different type of dick that those Senate Judiciary Republicans are. I know. I like my soul feels dark and twisty this week. So listeners, I'm so sorry. you you might get shades of a version of myself that I call dark sea. <laughs> She's been through a lot this week. There's also a drunk sea, but that's a whole different story. Yeah, drunk sea is who you want to meet on the street. Like seriously, she's a blast. Um, dark sea is a different, uh, dark sea's the one who would purge. So um, so going, going down, uh, something else that happened this week, um, again, Twitter. Uh, so the hashtag why I didn't report is trending right now and John, you mind going through it? Like, it's a lot for me to, like, even... I'll definitely go through it. So, Brett Kavanaugh's an asshole, and he's definitely guilty, because, I'm sorry, I don't know any person that has a list of 60-plus women off, like, just ready to go at any chance of women that will say, he didn't rape me. So, in order to believe women, because, yes, it's 2018, and we still live in a world where no one believes a woman when they say... Um, I was raped or I was assaulted or a person touched me and I said no and I didn't want that. Um, to bring further attention to the need to stop this nomination of a rapist, in my opinion, um, people are posting their own reasons for why they didn't report. Statistically, women um, who have, women and men who have faced sexual assaults and rape um, are less likely to report because of the shame and stigma shocker that comes along with being public about someone attacking you and we're seeing that not only now play out before our very eyes again we saw it if you have studied history with what happened to anita hill and i stand with dr ford and i'm so proud of every person that has come out and used the hashtag why i didn't report um, and told their story and shared it because we live in a time where white men are totally destroying the world and we need a little bit we need to take back the power from them and yes I am a white man but <laughs> let's be honest I'm not one of those assholes on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Plus you do a lot of like self-deconstruction and like you're constantly challenging yourself like John and this isn't a shout out just because I love him John is um kind of like an, the epitome of what you want in an ally as a woman. Um, he He's not afraid to look at himself, deconstruct, learn, read, ask his friends, seed the table. Um, so um, I appreciate you breaking that down. Like, um, so I have not even been able to hashtag why I didn't report because the idea of anyone asking me about it and me having to relive it is really difficult. So I like seriously admire the women that have done it. Um, well, I stand with you and all survivors, Marcy. <laughs> and we all need to do I love that. You, because... I love you so much for it. 
Um, so like we said, we worship at the altar of pop culture. And so this was a really shitty week. <laughs> um, but unless you're Miss Maisel. Exactly. The Emmys happened this week, which is one of my happy places. So if you're following me on Twitter, I'm I am the men who can. Uh, my favorite thing is a is a red carpet. <laughs> Second favorite thing is to binge watch every show that has ever landed on our TV screens. So John, talk to me about Miss Maisel, which I have been a fan since the day it dropped. So The Marvelous Miss Maisel is made by the genius creators, Amy and Dan Sherman Palladino, who are the Gilmore Girls uh, creators, Bunheads, um, Gilmore Girls Revival and Netflix. John, and do have, you like the Gilmore Girls? Is that your shit? <laughs> um, I don't know if I could say I like them. I think that like I bleed Rory and Lorelai is probably more an accurate description of how I feel about it, but that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> And um, they totally swept the Emmys. I think they won a total of eight, all well-deserved. It's an amazing show on Amazon. Um, Alec Bornstein, I just have to say the finale episode, and we won't spoil it, but her monologue with um, the character's husband um, or like a estranged husband at the end makes me cry. I found myself just bursting into tears. She's, brilliant i'm so glad that character won an emmy i love her they're one of the greatest moments of my life was when she liked a tweet where i said that she deserved all the emmys before the emmys and now she has all the emmys and i'm so happy yay i love that you're uh like dropping <laughs> i love liking celebrities likes and then calling them out saying that i liked their likes and in hopes of it's sheer self-promotion because I really want them to like one of my tweets because I actually love these people because of the work that they do. The work that is being done on that show is culturally important. It's so important because of the ways in which the woman on the show, the women on the show are the main characters and what they're going through. It's just an incredible show and I'm so glad it won. Although I do love all the other shows that were nominated and a part of there. And also um, when we were redoing the Pop Culture Theologians, I'm not redoing, but doing it in written form for Westworld season two, Tandy Newton won. Yeah. So John was, so we have broken down shows before as blog posts, like not as a podcast. And we actually broke down the entire season two of Westworld. And John was a huge Maeve fan. I was a huge Tandy Newton fan. I wasn't particularly in love with what they did with Maeve this season, but I, I love her work. I was extremely excited to see her win. Um, All the Emmys. Right, right. And, and I'm going to caveat this. So I think it was like a, it was one of the strongest years for contenders in every single like nomination. Like, so it, it was easy for everyone. So Twitter was ablaze with, um, you know, a lot of like sadness over Atlanta not winning, which I agree. Like, it was interesting. So they opened up with like diversity and equity in Hollywood and kind of like some some poking fun at, at Hollywood's idea that they fix something. But then that kind of felt weird when like a person of color hadn't won by the eighth one when there were very like there were like very strong contenders. So it was a bit of a strange Emmy show for me. I do um, equity and diversity work in my own um, job. So I was kind of like, Meh. but I will say um, to see Tandy Newton win in, in a category that I, I was actually really excited that potentially Jessica Biel could win because her role in The Sinner um, was for me as someone who 
uh, has, ex so The Sinner season one deals completely with religious trauma and her performance is one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. Um, but it was weird. Every single category, I had multiple people that I would love to see. Um, Tandy Newton got all of the love in the world from me when she said, I don't even believe in God, but I'm going to thank her tonight. Well, that's because God is a woman, but let's, we can, that's a whole nother podcast. Um, I do want to say, I want to throw some actual shade out. Uh, Game of Thrones won for best show for what was literally their shittiest season. I will fight you on that. I um, love this season. I am really good at fisticuffs. <laughs> like I have, so maybe it's that I have been reading those books for so long um, and that so much of this like past season was just like obvious and I thought the acting was a little stale um I don't know like I think my love for Game of Thrones is is enough to be able to be like yo this was not your best season there were great performances but not your best season um so I I don't know I was kind of like like this was the Americans year to win um if you don't watch the Americans it's it just finished but like start like start from season one you can thank me later you can send me like chocolate send me flowers send me blue flowers for the purge um the americans was the show of this year it's been the show for the last like five six years so um if you haven't watched it go watch it but um enough about our love of the emmys and every other show clearly we have a tv addiction john like seriously I'm when, definitely an addict. When they ask us why our dissertations are stalled, it's so weird. I like can't figure out what I'm doing with my time. I'm so sorry, Patrick. I have no idea what I'm doing on my I, spare time. I have no idea. Um, so let's break down episode three, The Urge. The Urge to Purge. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system announcing the commencement of the annual purge sanctioned by the U.S. government. Weapons of class four and lower have been authorized for use during the purge. All other weapons are restricted. Government officials of ranking 10 have been granted immunity from the purge and shall not be harmed. Commencing at the siren, any and all crime, including murder, will be legal for 12 continuous hours. Police, fire, and emergency medical services will be unavailable until tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. when the purge concludes. Blessed be our new founding fathers and America, a nation reborn. May God be with you all. So, what we are greeted with is Jane's time has come. So I can only imagine having AT&T, what it's like to have phone issues, which I do all the time here in Los Angeles. But phone issues really must suck on Purge Night, right? Because she yeah. cannot log into her favorite Purge app to watch her um, boss, David, um, get purged because remember from the last episode, she definitely hired a hitman to go out there and take out her sexually assaulting, harassing boss. Hey, Jane, um, maybe it's time to stop using WhatsApp and use Zoom because like, I wouldn't rely on WhatsApp on purge night. I wouldn't rely on any of those apps on purge night because you know, <laughs> definitely like- Military you know, satellite you know, phone. <laughs> military satellite phone so she um is in a meeting they close their deal so everyone can celebrate now and david her boss calls in and all of a sudden someone's at the door now remember the last episode um the person that she hired was about to enter the door so she thinks this is it but her secret isn't going to just be on her phone it's going to be in front of everyone because he got purged however it isn't that it isn't the assassin it's a pizza. pizza delivery man. And I'm just saying one of my favorite tweets when I saw this was who 
is ordering pizza on purge night? Me, me. Like if you, so first off, I think he actually says just kidding, but what, like, regardless, I, I have a really embarrassing addiction to Postmates, Uber Eats. Um, it's like, I'm a New Yorker, but I'm not like I have plenty of groceries in my fridge, but I am pretty sure purge night would be the one night that I'm like, okay, I need pho from 66.3 and it needs to be here in 30 minutes. Like I, I know myself, like I get weird cravings when it's just very inconvenient. <laughs> I, you know, Marcy, and you're an amazing cook too, if I remember. Oh, you're so sweet. Are you flirting with me? I am flirting <laughs> with you. Well, basically what happens is Mark, our favorite friend that definitely is about to die, um, tells Jane, um, you know, congratulates her on closing the deal, but really um, throws himself on the sword, dun, 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 and says he should really give the promotion to Allison because, you know, when his time to get it is there, he'll get it. And he knows and trusts that Jane will reward him unlike Jane's experience with her boss, leading you to totally think that Jane is definitely going to give the promotion to Mark, which I believe that there was a camera shot to Allison watching the both of them talk. So, um, so I read this a little differently. So I, so I thought it was really sweet that like Mark is like high on the like, we closed the deal and to a certain extent goes up to Jane and is like, dude, Allison's worked really hard. Like my promotion will come. Right. So for me, I read that two ways. One, Mark is one of the good ones, right? Who was like, it's all right. Like my promotion will come, but like, I think Allison deserves it. And I didn't particularly read that Jane was like, well, now I'm giving it to Mark, but more that it like triggered in her, like, so this is what an ally looks like. And then we do get that tiny pan out to Jane. And all I could think of is how many times in my life have I done this? <laughs> I see something happen, I don't have context for it, and I completely misread the situation, right? I don't purge someone. <laughs> well, that's good to know. No, I might verbally purge them. Like, Darcy might come out, and she's like, you did this, this, and this, and then they're like, actually, like, I was totally talking you up, and then I'm like, ooh, super embarrassed about that, sorry, right? Like, but I read it more of, like, maybe a call-out to all of us who, even jokingly, are like, yeah, there's people I'd purge, like, as to, like, what if a lot of the times that we think we have like righteous anger, it's just misinformed, dude? <laughs> well, definitely his misinformation came at the wrong time because Allison is there and we called it bye bye Mark. You called it episode one. You were like, that I, dude is not long for this world. And I think last episode I said Mark's dying this episode. I could totally be wrong in that because obviously I haven't listened to it, but. Um, I'm just going to say, I think I did because Mark and Allison go off, they pop some champagne and they go to a floor, um, that we find out after Jane chases after them. Um, that's not protected Remember in the beginning episode. Like, hey, Mark, let's go have post deal purge night sex. Cause I felt Definitely. that was her lead out, right? Like she's looking good. She's clearly confident. And she's like, Hey, Mark, come with me. Let's use these scissors for some fun. <laughs> Let's use these scissors for some fun. And what happens is, is Jane follows them. She goes down. She sees um, Allison um, straddling Mark's dead body where she just stabbed him with scissors. 
she, Jane, is completely shocked. Um, there are clearly no rules anymore. She doesn't know how to judge or look at Allison because they have the right to purge. They're no longer on the protected floor, but it was really senseless violence. But Allison then has the night, the line of the night and says, "Is are you the one that have to call HR about my promotion now? I mean, it was everything. What does HR do? Like, I was thinking about this. Like, so are you just not supposed to judge someone for it? Right. Like, let's just, like, I was thinking like, so like, they're all supposed to act like Jane is still Jane, right? Like Jane is not the Jane that killed Mark. She's just Jane that purged, which is her right. Like, how do you even process that? Like, how do you deal with it? Do you, does everyone come in the next day and be like, Hey, Jane, not Jane. Hey, Jane hey, definitely. Allison. Hey, Allison, definitely yeah. not seeing you next time. Right. Like, I think like, I was thinking like, that's a ballsy move, right? Like, so clearly Allison is a true believer because anyone else would be like, yeah, I really want to do it. But like, if everyone knows I did it, my life will never be the same, right? So Allison reminds me of the folks at the Stanton party who like are, they, they've drank this Kool-Aid, right? Oh, they drank it. And I just want to say, obviously, Allison, I don't think she's making it out of this show alive. She may. She may just be a regular person um, that purges. And there are, you know, it's it may seem like senseless violence to us, but we don't know what it is. And we'll have to go from there. And I'm really looking forward to more sassy banter from Allison. I don't know if she's going to make it past episode five. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to make a prediction that I think Allison is going to die before the end of the series, but we'll see. Yeah, no, I think some Freud might come into play where like, dude, you played your cards and now you're not getting that promotion, um, which is fine because um, that, that's how this goes, right? Like um, we are expecting to lose everyone we love. This is like Game of Thrones with none of the fantasy. Mm. Um, so speaking of drinking the Kool-Aid, let's talk a little bit about Jalila. <laughs> Jalila, hashtag Jalila. She was, okay, so... I'm really proud of this. Like, did we confirm a pregnancy? We confirmed a pregnancy. I felt really good about that because I am the servant lady still alive. Yeah, no, I feel I'm doing, I'm doing well. (laughs) But she's definitely going to die. Yes. I still think she's going to die. But, um, so we've got Jenna is pregnant. She tells Lila, Lila looks a little horrified. I also want to say the first time I watched the episode, I was so tired that I was like, who's the father? Is Lila or, or Rick? <laughs> and like, I was like, Jesus, Mars, wake up. Um, so Lila's dad makes this comment about wanting a grandchild, right? Um, hashtag, you must be talking to my parents. Because <laughs> like, I was like, oh. Um, but I was thinking a little bit about like, oh, I'm, I'm going to get graphic for a second, right? Like, that child is now in danger, right? Like, I think you oh, can yeah. rip a child out of a woman on purge night and it's it's yours. Like, it's lawless, right? Um, so I'm a little bit, what are we calling this child? Um, let's call him Garbanzo. Deal? Garbanzo. Garbanzo. Garbanzo's in danger. I'm hoping Jenna figures this out because she seems to be the only smart person at this party. Though I am, like, I am warm towards Jalila. Um, I think Lila is not her dad. Like, I want her to prove me right. Um, but we go into this meeting with, what do I call him? Mr. Stanton? <laughs> Mr. Nazi guy. Right, right. I'm, he reminds me of the 
the lead dude from uh, Inglourious Bastards. Christoph Waltz? Yeah, not obviously missing the super sexy accent um, that Christoph Waltz has in Super sexiness in general. I know, I'm like weirdly attracted to Christoph Waltz, which is depressing. Um, But they go in for this meeting we've been hearing about since episode two. And here's where some of my work stuff comes into play. They pitch this like equitable housing project, right? Um, I'm going to be nice and not call it regentrification project, but they pitch this equitable housing investment to Lila's dad. Um, and one of the things they throw out is that there's a 20% towards affordable housing in this, but that they're going to redevelop these areas in their city that no one's using. And Mr. Stanton is kind of like listening or whatever. And he's, he kind of comments like that's a really high percentage, which it is. So most cities have like 3%, like the most I've ever seen is 10. (laughs) And that was in a very progressive city. So he makes two jokes that caught my attention. He kind of says like, that's a lot of money for the poor. And I only help the poor on April 15th. And John, what is April 15th? Tax day. (laughs) Well, unless you're the president. Right. And then he says, JK, I don't pay taxes. I don't pay taxes. I'm a white rich man who doesn't have to pay taxes. Ha 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 ha. That that was a really good impression of a of a white dude. <laughs> I'm really trying my hardest here. I know. I know. And so they have this like really awkward kind of interaction like Jenna's leading this discussion on equity. Rick's just kind of like smiling there. Again, love you actor, but like Rick is a wet mop. Marcy, like, you totally <laughs> forgot. He, the white dude, wouldn't have um, a conversation about it unless he brought Jenna in because remember he says he's oh, a feminist. I'm a feminist. Right. So yeah, John, I skipped over this little tidbit that John brought up that's super like important at least for us, as we try to catalog what this show is trying to say, Rick had gone in without Jenna. And for, I find that interesting because clearly they are not equitable partners in this because he went in without her. And then Lila's dad is like, no, we're going to wait for Jenna because I'm a feminist. And I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, you're as much of a feminist as Donald Trump is a feminist. Right. So they haggle over this deal and reach a deal, right? But then what we've called from day one happens, which is, let's pretend this is a Scientology room, you need to buy an auditing session, right? So new founding fathers are like, yeah, you want us to invest? They bring out some dude who's like a lawyer or something who's like wrong Stanton. You worked with him. You worked with him, yeah. I can't remember if he was a lawyer or a contractor or something, but um, Stanton looks at him and he's like, pretty much like prove your loyalty. Like, take this loyalty pledge, purge. I want you to Allison the shit out of this dude. I want you to Allison <laughs> out of this dude. So, John, who else in, like, recent history do we know loves loyalty pledges? The Fuhrer. Oh, I'm sorry, Trump. <laughs> I was calling him by his maiden name. <laughs> oh, how dare you imply that a woman would have that name. Um, so... It's interesting because... I didn't even catch that part. <laughs> uh, we're a good team. You are the Batman to my Robin. <laughs> no, you're no Robin. You're a Batman. You're like an alternate universe Batman. Um, can I be Captain Marvel? Sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought of the Trump loyalty pledges. Like, um, folks, if you haven't paid attention, which 
I know you have because this show is not for the faint of heart when it comes to like critique of our political system. Uh, Trump really believes that loyalty pledges are a normal thing. Like he asked Comey to pledge his loyalty. Um, he's clearly asked Melania because she looks like she's trapped in some type of contract she can't get out of. Um, so it's interesting to watch this guy say like, yeah, like I will scratch your back, but prove to me in a way that is undoable that you are mine. And Jenna looks horrified because she meant what she said when she said she wasn't going to purge. But Rick, oh, I want to make a... I wanted to make a Chicago joke. He goes for the gun. He goes, sorry, he goes. Oh yes, for the gun. oh yes, oh yes. He went yes. for the gun. For the gun. For the gun. Oh God, we're such losers. I love you. We're so gay. I know you're not gay. <laughs> we're that, was, so that was that was that was pretty homosexual. <laughs> I mean, I was raised by the Golden Girls, so. Um, he goes for the gun, John. He goes for the gun. This guy definitely is a goner by the end of the series. Another prediction. Oh my gosh. We totally missed another Chicago joke. Like, he ran into my scissors. Sorry, I need to get off the Broadway train. Um, That's another podcast. (laughs) Another podcast. So Rick grabs the gun. And I thought a lot about, like, how often we sacrifice for advancement right? Um, So a lot of us, like, a lot of us are doing good work. We are trying to be good people. Um, But we find ourselves in situations where we have to compromise, right? Um, And that is a hard part of being an adult and navigating this world. But I was thinking in the purge, like, is there a situation where I would feel like the compromise to purge needed to happen? Um, I think in the first episode, I said, like, if someone's coming at my family, like, if someone's in danger, um, you know, sure. Um, but for for financial advancement, like, that's pretty shitty, dude. Like, it's not even like Jenna was in danger in that second. It's just he wanted the money. Give him the money, right? Like, I don't know. He wants the money. He wants the money. And he didn't even look at Jenna, right? Like, didn't even look at Jenna. Cause like when he's doing some apologetics later, I'm like, lie, dude. Be like, I didn't want you to have to pick up the gun, but he's such an idiot. Exactly. He's like, nope, nope. So but the guy ends up dying anyways. Right. This guy, the guy gets shot by these like founding father dudes. So, but I don't think that makes it different. Like, I think like if they're in a precarious situation, but you don't need to be the one to shoot the bullet. Right. That dude was dead the second he, even entered that room. Did you love how offended the new founding father guy like appeared to be when they're like, we don't purge tonight. We take it super seriously because that is an option in the society that they are currently in the universe that they're existing in. And he was like shocked that he almost challenged um, or that he like was insulting their morals or ethics at that time. And that is ultimately why the guy shot the person himself. But I was so amazed by like, almost like this, probably false but what it seemed like for the time genuine shock that they were like no because you know we don't really purge on purge night we take what you said really seriously and there he was like oh wow you're totally right no big deal boom guy's dead frat mentality this is how frats work right like um i'm thinking of like this party i went to my freshman year with a dude that i was dating and um when we got there, I kid you not, you can't make this shit up. Like they were playing this game where you pass around your girlfriend and like 
depending on like if you got the like beer pong like dudes could kiss your girlfriend and like this dude that I was dating was like yeah I'm not doing it and I will never forget the look of fury on one of the seniors faces when when he was like I'm not subjecting her to that shit right like that that is such a a (laughs) Kavanaugh right like we his fraternity at Yale is under scrutiny right now but like this dude pack mentality is so real. So, um, so it resonated. It's like super true to me. So speaking of purging. Oh yes. Who is, who is your purge of the week? I'm a creature of habit. So I'm definitely purging Kavanaugh again, even more so now he's got to go. Um, he will not only destroy everything that we love and hold dear while that we on this show and our opinions politically and socially hold dear. You know, if you're a listener and you don't agree with us politically, that's totally fine. But we definitely don't agree with what's going on with the Kavanaugh situation and he's got to go. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, so I was, I was going to say Mitch McConnell, but I'm actually going to swap it out this week. Um, Amy Chua, uh, the Yale law professor, um, who is under some real scrutiny right now because it's rumored that like she was feeding like law clerks to Kavanaugh. Like she was pressuring these like law students from Yale to like look a certain way and be model-like. And then she would just like funnel these, like this perpetual like line of women to Kavanaugh. And um, so I, I actually, I, I don't know a lot about law. I don't know if it's illegal to tell like your law students that like to be this dude's clerk, you need to look, you know, like Elle Woods, like, sex it up right but as a woman (laughs) yo i'm purging it like that is we said it in the beginning women participate in the patriarchy too women are enforcers of white male cisgendered supremacy there's your feminist studies word hate on me all you want i don't give a shit but um the idea of this woman actively participating in degrading this is yale law dude like this is like this is the pinnacle, and I'm, I could deconstruct that from like a race privilege perspective, but Yale is a school that like should be pumping out women that are super confident in themselves and no one gives a shit if they're wearing six inch heels for some asshole who's like, I tend to pick the ones that look like Elle Woods. And then the creepiest thing that completely solidified that I would purge this fucking woman is that she funneled her daughter in. So she views women as so insignificant aside from the power that they can wield through sexuality and exploitation that she even subjects her daughter to this her daughter went through the law clerk line with Kavanaugh so um not a coincidence she's actually the mom the mom who wrote that book like how to tiger mom no yes like you can't make this shit up man oh my god fuck you tiger mom fuck you I hope your daughter heals from having been pimped out right? Um, apparently she has been hospitalized under duress and stress and it's like, yeah, go fuck yourself. So that's who I would Allison this week. <laughs> oh yeah. We should change it from instead, who would you purge this week to who would you Allison this week? We'll I, ask Jessica when she comes on the show, how she feels about us naming a segment in her honor. Yes. Yeah. I would Allison the shit out of this woman. So, so after our little sideways about who we're going to purge, even though if you've listened to the show, um, in the, our previous episodes, you definitely are hearing mine for the third time. But we go to the first purge and we meet Miguel and Penelope's parents. And 
finally start unraveling what's really going on there with the both of them and what caused them to almost break up. We don't have the whole story, but what we do know is that their parents were victims of the first purge. Right. And so if you watch that um, most recent movie, The First Purge, one of the things that sticks out is, which makes sense, it was difficult to sell this to a country, right? Like, how do you sell the purge? So the government did a lot of shifty things to get folks to buy into this. One of the things they did is they went to a lot of low income communities and offered them like, hey, stay in your house, stay safe, just sign that you'll participate by staying safe, but you'll still put out the blue flowers and we will send you a stipend. So two things, one, that is coercion of the poor, right? Um, So they're offering a stipend just for the signature, for the buy-in, but you can stay safe. And then when they saw that there was not a ton of purging happening and that mostly people were just looting and like trying to go for the things that they needed, um, then the government started killing black and brown folks. Um, So with this first purge, this like um, flashback to Penelope and Miguel's parents, um, it's so sad. Um, you've got a mom and a dad from a low-income community who clearly have a beautiful family life. And the dude who looks like, we're going Broadway again, he looks like a Mormon who's like, hello, my name is Elder Price, and I'm here to sell you the purge. Um, and he sells it in a way that it's not the purge. He sells the idea of safety um, and economic reward for compliance. Um, and I think we see this a lot, right? We sell these fake dreams, like charter schools are the solution for the bad education in low-income neighborhoods. They're not. That is diverting dollars and funds from um, the local schools into these pet projects that have no regulation and can fall apart, right? It's similar to the justice system. We sell the idea that the justice system works and it will be fair. Um, And if you're not listening, Serial Season 3 just dropped, which is looking at the justice system as- Oh my God, I love it. It is. So I listened to both episodes the second they dropped and it is a really difficult listen because you're going to feel this sense of rage and helplessness that like, how could the justice system be this broken? But these are the lies we sell folks. Like we, we tell them that there are these upstanding morals that all of our systems are built on and they are indestructible. And if 45 with his Cheeto fucking face has taught us anything is none of this is indestructible. It is so in such a precarious space and it has to be protected. It has to be fought for. Oh my God, this is where I actually start singing Les Miserables. Um, yeah, like it's like it's really disturbing, um, but not something we can't conquer. I still think like the people will sing. Um, but then we have this flashback with Penelope, Miguel, their family. Um, the lie doesn't work. The government, like group of sicarios, whatever we're gonna call them, come in kill the parents um, in a really horrifying, um, really heroic uh, little snippet. The mom, after she realizes the father's dead, so this was a nod to me, to Harry Potter actually. Um, So you've got the dad who goes first and he takes that initial blow. So Miguel and Penelope's dad takes the blow, tries to stand up to them and be like, we signed the fucking paperwork, what the fuck are you doing here? When the mom realizes what has happened, 
similar to Lily Potter, she shoves her kids in this closet. She says, stay quiet until you hear the sirens. Do not come out. She closes that closet door. She comes out and she martyrs herself willingly. She says, I can't, like, let me go. My kids aren't here. I need to find my kids. And she takes the blow. And as she falls to the ground, she looks at Miguel and Penelope and she mouths the words, be brave, be brave. And it's, it's, it's really, I mean, obviously I'm a Harry Potter, like sucker for some, I'm, I'm a sucker for that imagery because it's, it's affected my life and the way that I think sacrifice works. Um, You're as much of a Harry Potter fan as I bleed Lorelai and Rory. Exactly. Exactly. But the scene really did carry some, some Potter lore for me. The show is really good. I just have to say that this episode, you know, at first when we chose this show, I was like, oh, this is going to be like a catchy, like, you know, we're going to have so much fun ripping it apart. I actually enjoyed last night's episode a lot. Um, last there night was is not like really good trash TV. Last night was the type of show that like, I was like, they're really saying something. They are. And they're saying something that we live in a corrupt, unjust, unequitable, anti-immigrant, um, anti-person who doesn't make X amount of dollars a year type of world. And you sit there and you say, well, this is just a TV show. But then you go and you look outside your window or log on to Twitter or Facebook, and you see the same type of lies that we are now selling to the poor, but in the same way. We sell them on a phony tax plan. We sell them on a phony way to think about health care when in reality what we do need is we do need health care for all we look at the ways in which we sell lies even in this current quote-unquote reality that we're living in and we see that these institutions are not um solid they're not made of steel they're malleable and people can use them and turn them into whatever type of tool they want to fit their whims and that's well, why what's going on is so real Right. And like, so we pan back to, to the blue bus, right? With Penelope, she's been chosen. Good leaders, like it's time. Rah, rah, rah. And they start to chant OMF, OMF, uh, which at first I thought was like, OMG, which I was like, well, that's really millennial of them <laughs> to be like, OMG, OMG. Uh, but OMF uh, stands for Original Martyr Family. Um, which I started thinking of military gold star families, right? Mm -hmm. And how we have this narrative of American heroes. Um, so I'm thinking of like when Trump attacked the military gold star dad, right? And how we have this myth of heroes in the U.S. that is actually contradicted by our failure to these folks that have that have done so much, have sacrificed so much. So. Um, with, with OMF, so the general consensus I could get is that in this purge world, in this narrative, there, there's something to be respected of these original martyr families. And my first reaction is they did not choose to be martyrs. So this is, this is how fucking turning a narrative works, right? They're not going to call them like the first purged because they didn't choose to be purged. So you rewrite the narrative in a way that is palpable for folks looking for heroes. Um, and we do that a lot with military gold star families, with, with folks who have lost their, their sons, their daughters, their mothers, their fathers um, in our wars. Um, I, I, I lost one of my elementary school friends the first three weeks of the war in Afghanistan. And 
I can see his face so brightly in my head. And I think I will for the rest of my life. And I honor his sacrifice. I honor his bravery. Um, I honor his life. But part of my honoring his life is to spend the rest of my life fighting against unjust, unnecessary war. Like, and I, I think a lot of what makes the purge special for me is that it, it talks about the things that I struggle to talk about, right? I struggle to talk about my friend. Like I still, I struggle to talk about the loss of his life that feels meaningless to me, not from the perspective that his sacrifice was meaningless, but that he deserved more from us. He, we failed him. And then we took his story and turned it into this corrupt caricature. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so to see Penelope coming out to these like fucking chants of like, OMF, OMF, OMF. I'm like, I'm at Allison, you all too. <laughs> I'm gonna kill well, everyone on this. There are significantly <laughs> less children on that bus too. So they've definitely made some stops. So I think, I think they've made the rounds. <laughs> they clearly hit Hollywood and Vine and dropped everyone off. Um, but I'm like, come on. They, they were in WeHo, you can say it. Yeah, they were in WeHo. Um, <laughs> um, there, <laughs> sorry. Um, yeah, the bus is emptier. Uh, so what's her favorite? Good leaders night is going well. Cause I consider her drop-offs her purges. Like, I think that's how she's purging. Um, cause I don't think she authentically believes this bullshit. Um, but I was disturbed to see, like I've talked about before, Penelope needing to rewrite the story of the loss of her parents. We have a much more concrete understanding of like how traumatizing that was. She didn't just lose her parents to the purge. She lost them to corruption. She lost them right in front of her eyes. Um, so then John, what was when you saw, cause you watched the episode before I even did when Penelope's dropped off. Did you think of me? Did I think of you? I definitely thought of the Marcy that says, I'm going to outpray all of you. <laughs> Why, John? Why? What does Penelope stumble across? Penelope stumbles across a whole bunch of fucked up nuns. The nuns on the bus! <laughs> the nuns on the bus. Which is a social justice movement, by the way. I'm going to hold off judgment of whether or not this is a judgment on the nuns on the bus, but there are some super liberal nuns that go around the country on this bus fighting for women's rights, gay rights, um, indigenous rights, land rights, environmental sustainability issues. So I'm going to hold off on whether or not this is a critique on the nuns on the bus. Um, but yes, this is the most amazing costume since Lady Liberty in Purge Anarchy. It was screwed up and it's definitely going to be all over for Halloween this year. Oh, I, okay. So last year I dressed up as Lady Liberty, um, the purge edition. So I actually crafted my mask. Um, and, uh, my, my husband Brent dressed up as George Washington from the purge. And we, we just spray painted the purge on our garage and sat outside. And I was telling John, I had a ton of parents come by on Halloween night who were like, huh, that's like a really weird patriotic thing to do. And then their little toddlers were like, shit the purge i was like what <laughs> what like are you watching the purge uh i was watching the little mermaid <laughs> and 
hocus pocus. And these kids totally knew what this was. They knew it was a purge. And so for sure, I'm already figuring out how to hijack the nun costume, illuminate it. The only part that I was like super creeped out by was the teeth. The masks had these very realistic human teeth. Mm -hmm. um, which can mean a lot. Like I, whenever I see teeth like that, I think vagina dentata, <laughs> which if you haven't seen dentata, that is a great horror film. It's super underrated. It's so good. It's got camp, but it's also like a super feminist horror film. So yeah, Penelope comes out and these nuns are ready to go, but they don't move quickly. They, they don't move like are silent. Yeah. They're well, <laughs> maybe they're Benedictine. Oh God, I have like a ton of really corny Catholic jokes I could throw out right now, but they don't move the way that the other groups that we've seen these kids get dropped off with have. Like the other folks are like hungry to kill, right? So with Arthur, they like take their axes and they're like, let's chop this bitch up with, um, was it Melissa? Who was the young woman that got hurt? I think it was Melissa, yeah. but we'll call her victim number 30 because there were, the bus just keeps getting emptier right. and emptier. But she got dragged off by like, Bill Clinton and George Bush, right? With some golf club. Here, they put a bat, like a, a pillowcase over Penelope's head and they drag her into this Winnebago um, and then they drive off. So again, I'm a hold off judgment, but these are literally fucking nuns on a bus, right? And so I think this can go two ways. Uh, I think one, we might actually be seeing like an angel in disguise uh, trope, which is the person who pretends to be part of this oppressive system, who's actually there to save people. So these nuns might actually be out there saving people from the purge while looking like they're purging. I think that is an actual possibility. Uh, the other possibility is they're just taking her somewhere more fucked up, which I would be here for if we're taking her to like some cathedral and we're going to get a lot more religious imagery because obviously that's my shit. Um, but I don't know. What did you think, John? I didn't know how to read them. I didn't know where we were at in the episode when I was seeing it because immediately afterwards um, you find out that Miguel like basically has found the bus and we'll get there. Don't worry, listeners. But um, they go away with her and I don't know how to think about it yet. They're too quiet, but they also are too really effing creepy. Like Sister Act 3, like meth addiction, like crazy teeth people. Yeah, so, um, so nuns historically have kind of this, they live in this realm of fantasy. So they're, they're simultaneously in the space of like being agents of good right? These desexualized like virgins who, who dedicate their lives to doing good, right? And yet in horror, we see them pop up all the time as like this like transgressive image of like perversion. Um, if you haven't read it, BuzzFeed had an amazing expose on these evil fucking nuns out of Vermont. Um, I think it was two weeks ago. It is one of the hardest reads I've ever, I know you're like Buzzfeed, like Buzzfeed does like quizzes on like Disney characters. Yes. Buzzfeed does really good reporting. And they did this thing on these nuns at this orphanage, the St. Joseph orphanage. And they, they were like killing children. They were throwing them out windows. Like they would like pretend to strap them into chairs and electrocute them. And so the nun in the collective conscience of Americans is this weird thing where it could go either way. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up with tons of nuns in my family. And I have like memories of going to Argentina to this convent to visit one of my great aunts. And it was terrifying. Like, John, I honestly think like, I probably shit the bed. Like it was like being inside Azkaban prison and everyone around me would tell my brother and I like, this is the best place on earth to be. Aren't you happy? And like, it was the scariest place in the whole world. Like, um, and yet if you ask my parents about it, like those were some of their happiest memories was going to this convent with us. Um, and like, all I can think of is these women in, in black and white with these like winged headpieces that would like lure over my brother and I to like give us stuff and pinch our cheeks. And like, it's interesting just how different we interpreted all that shit. Um, but they still live in my nightmares. Um, but I do think that we have a bit to go before we figure out what these nuns are up to. And then speaking of angels in disguise, um, we didn't really talk about it when we first started the podcast, but at the beginning and end of this podcast, there's a bookend vignette of this dude. Like, I don't even know, what are we going to call this dude? The bar owner? No, not the bar owner. So the bar owner helps Miguel. Uh, Miguel gives him his muscle car to help him find Penelope. So they make an exchange, information for the muscle car. So clearly the bar guy is in it to win it, not because he has good feelings. No, the dude who we met in episode two, remember the guy who was looking at Tinder? (laughs) Um, We've got this guy who appears to be listening to New Founding Fathers radio, but at the end of this episode we get that he breaks into a house where a woman is about oh, to Oh, creepy Rush Limbaugh guy. That's yeah, who yeah. The, the episode ends with him busting into this house and you think maybe he's going to help purge this woman, right? And no, he kills the purgers and takes the woman, right, John? Mm-hmm. He, and he says, your house has been compromised. He has a taken moment, you know, he has a Terminator <laughs> moment. Come with me if you want to live. Like, but I'm also wearing a creepy mask. Come with me if you want to live. What the fuck was that, Mars? Come on. Put your shit together. But yeah, he, he, he says the house has been compromised, which is very purposeful language. And then he puts her in a Winnebago. What the fuck is up with the Winnebagos? It's, you know what? They had it on MTV Road Rules. It worked then. It works now. <laughs> so I think his story is developing very slowly. We just don't have a ton of information on him. But I, I, you know, I was thinking like, we do have some avenues again of transgression and resistance potentially. The nuns potentially are resisting, we don't know. Mass vigilante, I'm gonna go 80-20, he's resisting. And then um, Miguel runs into these reporters who are from, I was about to say from abroad. <laughs> I think they're British, but they're, they're out as like war reporters. Um, for the purge and they're trying to let their countries know about what's happening in the U.S. Um, And Miguel makes some snarky fucking comment like, oh, so you're here to like, what, like write about the purge, let everyone know how messed up we are. And like the, the British guy is like, yeah, sure. But like, we invented this shit. Talk to me about the African slave trade. Like talk to me about this, like colonialism. And I thought that was such a good moment to it's the writers tipping their hat to like yes the purge is fictionary but we've done this we've been here before this lives in our real life so it's an insanely good episode i am so glad that you see it 
the way that I saw the films and that we're going through this together. Cause I was a little afraid, like, let's, let's be honest for a second. This was like playing Russian roulette. The show had not started. Um, it could have been a shit show. Like it could have been um, super campy, but without the like appropriate foundation that the films had. So it's so, isn't it great to see it living up to the same kind of um, critique that the, the movies have done? It really has. I'm, I just keep throwing it into the third movie in the series, which we know is my favorite, but I'm really enjoying it. Right. Um, so before we wrap up this episode, I have a fun fact that I saw on Vulture's um, wrap up of this episode. So Vulture is, is documenting each episode um, as well. They're doing it written form. They're great, by the way. Um, but they caught something that I thought was funny. Apparently, so we know David Riker right? Uh, Jane's boss. Apparently on IMDb, it's Donald Riker. Oh. Right? And so I'm hoping that's a slip of the finger, but like, (laughs) pun, it's literally a finger. Like, uh, fuck yourself, like David Riker. Like, um, the, the bridge to Donald is not that far. So I thought that was great. I mean, I'm surprised we haven't seen a Trump mask and we only haven't because he maybe doesn't exist in this universe. Ugh, we could hope. But frankly, maybe he's already been purged. Who Did knows? Did you see a Trump mask in election year? There was? I thought so. There was a Hillary mask as well, right? Oh, I don't know. I thought so. It's coming. Well, it's coming. It's coming. So, John, what do we have to look forward to next week? So, we are so excited that Jessica Muzel is coming on the show. We are going to be talking with her um, in a, the coming days, and we're so excited to bring that to you. And then, of course, um, episode four. I'm, I'm very, very excited. Um, it's so great to break this down with John and with everyone listening every week um, because it feels so... Like, it feels so relevant. And then I think it'll be great to have some insider um, information from one of the actors that we really love on the show. Because I wonder, like, I think it would be traumatizing to do this show, John. Like, I honestly might need therapy in between shots. I could never be in a zombie show or a zombie movie. So I totally feel you there. Your scary place is always zombies. (laughs) It's always zombies. Because it's going to (laughs) happen. Every time I'm like, so this was super scary. John's like, yeah, and zombies. <laughs> and zombies. Like when there are, z- like I can handle creepy children, witches, being in, being in the woods, whatever you throw at me, I got it. But the moment you say zombies, bye-bye. So for me now, it's nuns on the bus is maybe the scariest thing I could think of grabbing me on the street. For, you know for- what is the scariest thing to me right now? A Republican. <laughs> well, first of all, that's just a natural. Toadstools. Gross! I had to. You're ruining it for me. Like, I play my Nintendo Switch every time I take a business trip, and now I'm like, this is like, this, I can't. Oh, God. I'm gonna have to start playing as someone else, which sucks. I'm gonna start playing as Wario. Well, listeners, I think we've fully gone down the rabbit hole. So make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, throw us a like or a comment on Facebook or Twitter, and definitely we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Happy purging. Happy purging. Happy purging.